You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am here as always with my brother from another mother, the more to my mentor, Matt Hartwell. How are you, sir? Oh, fantastic, buddy. Following that introduction, I mean, how could I not be? Uh, Victory Sunday, so feeling impeccable. Uh, good to be back, buddy. How you doing? Man, I am doing better than great. My team is undefeated, 1-0. and um, There were some good things and some not-so-good things about that game, and we will get into it. Uh, but first, Matt, I have a question for you. Are you ever looking for a place to just buy some uh, affordable, awesome, impeccable Michigan swag? All the time, buddy. Well, I have just the place for you. The Big House Bleachers podcast is brought to you by Fanatics. So Fanatics has a bunch of amazing sports merchandise, but particularly Michigan sports merchandise. And so if any of our listeners are interested in getting decked out for any of their game days in the future, um, hit the link in the description. Uh, it'll take you right to the Michigan Fanatics page and you can shop away. Now let's talk some football. Let me get your initial, you know, initial reaction on the game, and then we'll get into some of our some of our popular segments that are finally back after this long off season. But uh, just a little snapshot: what what's your feeling and initial reaction? Michigan thirty, East Carolina three. You know, for all intents and purposes, I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the game as uh, just like a season opener. You know, uh, obviously there was a segment in the the fourth quarter where we largely just like put our starters like to the side and kind of let some other guys kind of have at it. And they really didn't make more of a dent, kind of like padding that score to make it look even even as good as we wanted it to be, you know, so uh, there's that to consider. But, you know, for Everything considered, I really enjoyed the game. I uh, I thought JJ played impeccably. Uh, just really loved it, buddy. What'd you think of it? Yeah, similar feelings. I I am not worried about anything. Uh, there were some surprises, and we'll get into that. There were some position groups that didn't show up the way that we thought they were going to, and then there were some other position groups that showed up a little better than we thought they were going to, and. Um, when you look at the score from an outsider's perspective, and I assume there's a lot of people around the nation in college football that did not watch the game because, of course, it was on Peacock, right? It was streaming on Peacock. And so we'll, we'll talk about that as well here in a little bit. But so if somebody just looked at that score and they saw Michigan 30, East Carolina 3, they probably would have said, well, yeah, I assumed Michigan would take care of the game. Um but it, you know, maybe Michigan's not quite as good as we thought they were because they only put up 30 points. Meanwhile, Oklahoma and Oregon are putting up, you know, 73 and 81 respectively against their competition. And um, I would pump the brakes on those folks because if you actually watched this game, you saw basically everything you wanted to see um, 
you know, the question marks all got answered. And then the things that we thought were for sure not going to be a problem. Hey, there's some minor question marks in there all of a sudden. Um, but, you know, that Donovan touchdown that got called back at that would have made it 37 to zero. And then you look at the way that the fourth quarter panned out easily could have added a couple extra scores in there that I'm not, I'm not worried about the way the game ended. And so to me, when you look at, you know, cause could this have been a, a 50 to nothing blowout? Absolutely. It, it, it played exactly like one would for the first two or three quarters. Um, and if we needed to move the ball and get it into the end zone in the fourth quarter, we would have been just fine. We would have done that. My uh, my cousin, who she's a FSU alum, she's like five years younger than me, but she went to FSU like in the glory days. <laughs> so she's used to high flying football. She's not really like a huge football fan, but uh, she she was watching the game and after it uh, ended, she asked me what the score was, and I told her, and she's like, "Isn't that kind of like kind of low?" <laughs> And I just had to like chuckle a little bit because, you know, honestly, you'd like to see it a little bit higher. But uh, this this offense was kind of figuring some things out with a little bit of a new identity, not straying too far away from what we've seen. But they were doing some things differently. And I think that's a little bit of uh, credit to the offensive line's struggles, so to speak, as well. So I think the team was just doing some things differently for this first game. And then you have the the starters getting rested in the fourth. So I think people just need to take it easy a little bit and just kind of enjoy that the teams want to know. And same thing as every year, man, people just need to calm it down a little bit. Michigan's going to be just fine. Well, head coach Jim Harbaugh and offensive coordinator Sharon Moore were, were serving well-documented uh, one game suspensions, I, three games for Harbaugh, one game for for more. Um, and we're going to do some position grades, some position group grades here shortly. But I'm curious, how would you grade Jesse Minter's first performance as a head coach? And then you know, kind of a side question, Kurt Campbell called the plays. So how would we grade the play calling from Kurt Campbell? And see, that's another dynamic to consider is that uh, this is all just kind of just made up on a whim in the last couple of weeks by uh, Jesse Mentor, Kirk Campbell, Jim Harbaugh and company, uh, just the preparation that they've put into it and the little time that they've had to prepare for it. So, again, all intents and purposes. Jesse Minter and uh, Kirk Campbell did a wonderful job, uh, especially Jesse Minter being a defensive-minded guy, uh, handling the game uh, the way that he was supposed to as a head man, and uh, Kirk Campbell calling things from the box, doing an awesome job. So I thought they did great. How about you, buddy? I mean, A grades, honestly, A grades from me. There were some other you know, areas of the game that didn't go according to plan, but I felt like the play calling was great. Um, 18 pass plays compared to 13 rush plays in the first half. That was like everything we wanted to see and more. Um, I did not think that that would be the case. Um, and then of course it started to even out a little bit there in the second half. But the thing that I liked about Jesse Minter, um, and his energy is great. He reminds me of when, uh, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and all these young guys in the NFL kind of 
took the NFL by storm with these young, smart head coaches. Like Jesse Minter seems like one of those guys. Like he just knows what he's doing. Um, when AJ Barner got a, a holding penalty, and I, I, I want to say it was Michigan's first penalty of the game. It was the first one I can think of. Uh, they showed Jesse Minter, and he turned and walked straight to Grant Newsom and started, you know, talking to Grant Newsom, working some stuff out. And and I, I saw that, and I was just like, man, like this guy is going to make a great head coach one day because he really stepped all the way into the role, did a great job, and you know that it kills him, just kills him that East Carolina got three points on the board in the very last play of the game. Um, but anyway, speaking of Harbaugh being gone, in Harbaugh's honor, we're going to hand out our weekly award for the player of the game, and of course we call it this guy right here and this guy right here. We're going to talk about this guy right here and this guy right here. So Matt, I'm going to let you do the honors. Week one, Michigan versus East Carolina. Who is your this guy right here? Well, Mike, I think it's only fitting to uh, give it to the captain. Mike saying we're still coming through in a moment where Michigan really needed it. The fan base needed it. Uh, I think Michigan's first drive had stalled, so it was kind of in the defense's hands to make an electric play. And Mike Sainer, still the captain, comes through. I was jumping up on my feet, just really the first dynamic play of the season that just kind of gets you going. So uh, my this guy right here is going to Mike Sainer, still definitely. This guy right here, and this guy right here. Mikey S with the first this guy right here of the season and very well deserved uh, had a fantastic game as did some of his secondary mates back there playing pass defense. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take kind of an obvious approach here. For me, my this guy right here is quarterback and leader J.J. McCarthy. He came out um, at a certain point in the game, he had like 16 of 17 completions, and the only incompletion was a drop by Roman Wilson. Speaking of Roman Wilson, he could get this award as well, g- given his three touchdowns donning the number one. But for me, J.J. McCarthy gets my... This guy right here, and this guy right here! Heck yeah, man. And I uh, knew that you were going to go with J.J., so... They were both very much deserving. JJ had to get one, but Mike, I know you've just been waiting to shine in this moment because you've been very high on the JJ train this offseason. So you have the victory, my friend. Mike Sainer still also a very uh, fitting recipient as well. But uh, these guys right here are some great ones to start the week. Will you show me a guy that's not high on, on JJ and I'll show you an idiot, Matt. Because <laughs> I can't even claim JJ. I mean, all Michigan fans should be high on JJ. But uh, college football was back. We watched some Michigan football. We watched some Big Ten football. We uh, probably skimmed around and watched some national football and, and some other conferences. And so I'm curious what this week made you say. Sheesh. Well, Mike, it was definitely. It's definitely fitting that uh, this one for me goes to the Michigan pass defense. Michigan just all around defensively, very efficient yesterday. 
I was extremely impressed. If anything, if you can't be impressed with the final score of the game, be impressed with how the defense played yesterday because they were playing their asses off. I mean, really the only Nick against, uh, not not even against just the pass defense, but the defense as a whole is that long run by the quarterback. But other than that, I mean, I, I think it's like, uh, set like a hundred passing yards that they allowed collectively. So to have Will Johnson and Rod Moore out in that moment, first game of the season, uh, having Keyshawn Harris in there and uh, Keon Sab, I think those guys just did tremendously. And I've got to give my sheesh to them just collectively for how they played yesterday. Michigan secondary. Sheesh. And I'll take it a step further, Matt, because my sheesh this week is actually a member of the Michigan secondary. And you mentioned some guys were out. We've got question marks. And the most well-documented question mark on that Michigan defense all season long is how is CB2 going to show up? The cornerback opposite of Will Johnson. And then that question mark turned into an exclamation point real fast when Josh Wallace went up and got a fantastic interception. Josh Wallace. Sheesh. And of course, Michigan's making it a tradition to have these fantastic catches or interceptions in week one that do not count. So, spoiler, it didn't count. Uh, the, the offensive player, I believe, touched the ball briefly while his foot was out of bounds. I think that's why the refs overturned the pick. Um, and of course, I was talking about Ronnie Bell's spectacular one-handed grab last year, but Man, wasn't it good to see Josh Wallace out there showing out? Yeah, I mean, fortunately for Josh Wallace, uh, Michigan fans are taking no credit away from him for uh, it not counting. The replay is already out on social media today. Uh, People giving him a lot of kudos for his performance yesterday and his near interception. So good to see the transfer uh, come into fruition in this defense. You love to see it. You love to see it indeed, and we will see what the secondary gets graded as a position group as a whole. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, Side note, before we do our position group grades, I just wanted to mention that there was some stirring in the Michigan community about uh, we got these players that are out, we got these questionables. Um, There's a new Big Ten uh, guideline or rule that requires them to release uh, it's almost like the NFL. You got to release uh, who's out and who's questionable two hours before the game. And so uh, a couple hours before the game, we got our list. Uh, we saw some names on there that we knew were going to be on there. And then for me, what I really wanted to look at was what does questionable actually mean? Does it mean that this guy's banged up and he's going to play anyway? Or does it mean that he's probably out for the game? And uh, luckily, we saw a lot of those guys, those guys that were on that questionable list. Uh, we saw Cornelius Johnson. We saw Darius Clemens. Uh, I'm forgetting some, but there, there were some guys on that list that we didn't think we were going to see that we saw. And so uh, for Michigan Nation out there, do not panic when, when you see a, a questionable next to a guy's name. I think that just means he probably had a limited practice and might be nursing some things. And Uh, We're going to see that a lot throughout the season. So that was refreshing. Uh, Let's get into our position groups. Nothing better than 
the quarterback. Let's start with our fearless leader, the meditating messiah, J.J. McCarthy. Uh, Matt, how do you grade the quarterback room for week one? Love the nickname meditating messiah, J.J. McCarthy. Uh, I have the quarterback position at an A this week. It would be an A plus plus had it not been for just that dastardly fumble. Uh, oh God, that sucked. But I've got him at an A this week. I thought JJ was spectacular. He looked extremely comfortable in the pocket. And one of my biggest takeaways from this game is just the improvement of JJ. You know, he uh, he didn't throw any interceptions, was very efficient throwing the football, did pretty much everything that he could with the time that he was given. So I can't say anything against him besides the fumble and who really knows who that's on. That's kind of a communication thing between him and Blake. But um, I thought he did spectacular. A lot of improvement shown in this first game, which is everything that you want to see from your starting quarterback. So that's a big reason that I'm not worrying at all about anything that we saw going in, coming out of that first game is overall just the performance of JJ McCarthy. So a for him. What about you, buddy? We're pretty in line. We're pretty tuned in on this one. So I've got the quarterback room in an a minus and it was pretty much a flawless performance, but that fumble that you just referenced, uh, brings it down to an A minus, along with Davis Warren, uh, you know, stumbling and getting tripped up by the the Michigan turf there at the end. Because you got a grade, you know, he was he's a quarterback and he was on the field, so you got to throw that into the grade too. But um, I like what JJ was trying to do. He tried to hurry up on fourth down, uh, you know, push it in. It, it, I would have liked, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I would have liked to see us just slow it down, line up, you know, get the right play call in. It's you don't you shouldn't have to catch a team like East Carolina off guard. You should be able to line up, show them run, run anyway and still get the score and so I I like the leadership and confidence JJ displayed in that moment. But yeah, it was a <clears throat> not a pretty sight to watch that ball hit the turf on the 1-yard line. So A minus for the quarterback. Uh Let's move on to the running backs. Now, this is one of those position groups that uh, maybe didn't perform quite up to par with what we were expecting. Matt, what's your grade, and, and are you concerned? You know, I, I thought this initially looking at the stat sheet because it's not what you're used to out of a Blake core of Donovan Edwards tandem, just in general. Uh, but I'm giving, them, I'm giving them a B plus this week, and that's solely for that they stuck to their assignments. Uh, Blake Corum ends the day with a touchdown, uh, decent 70-something yards, if I'm not mistaken, on the ground. Uh, Donovan Edwards ends the day uh, with, I think, like 30 yards. I don't know. He had some some receiving, like 70 all-purpose yards altogether. So both of them did well with what they were tasked with for the day. Um, no explosive runs that end with them reaching the end zone, which uh, you don't love to see. But, you know, they're just coming back from uh, from nursing some injuries. You saw the same thing at the start of last season, I believe. Uh, the season started pretty slow for Corum and Edwards. So might just be seeing a similar thing to start this season. So 
I don't think there's any reason to hit the panic alarm just yet, and I'm giving them a B plus on the day for executing what they were asked to do. I think that a B plus is a fair grade. We're just spoiled as Michigan fans, uh, and I let my spoiled entitlement affect my grade. I'm giving them a C plus. Um, it was not bad. Their uh, you know yards per carry was not bad. Um, you know, the offensive line actually didn't do them any favors, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, Corum looked good. Edwards looked good. Neither one of them had the types of performances that we're quite used to from them, but they were serviceable. They helped us move the ball down the field. They didn't make any uh, really costly mistakes. And so uh, C-plus is probably just because uh, we hold them to such a high standard. Uh, I am not worried about the running backs at all. Zero, none, zilch. I am not worried about the running backs. I've heard some rumblings of people say, oh, Corum's not what he used to be and all that. I'm not worried about that at all. I think he was getting, you know, getting his groove back a little bit. He didn't look bad. He, he had a couple runs that were explosive. Uh, we'll be just fine. Um, On to the wide receivers. Now, this was a pleasant Surprise here, Matt. How do you grade the wide receivers? The wide receivers, I'm giving an A plus, Mike. Uh, I thought they made some excellent catches. Uh, JJ, courtesy of JJ, right on the money with so many of his throws yesterday. Uh, I thought the wide receivers did a tremendous job of reeling those catches in and also just silencing the haters. You know what I mean? Cornelius Johnson with a ridiculous uh, Megatron-looking catch uh, just went up and snagged that thing out of nowhere. And then Roman Wilson, three touchdowns on the day, uh, everything that she could have asked for out of the fly in Hawaiian on on game one. And then that freshman wide receiver trio that uh, we've been hearing so much about showed out a little bit. Uh, Frederick Moore with a couple catches, uh, Car- Carmelo English, uh, a couple couple of those guys were definitely making some plays yesterday and getting their names put out there on TV for their performance. So I'm giving it the wide receiver position an A-plus for yesterday, Mike. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to criticize that a little bit. So I agree. They were fantastic. I give them an A. I give them an A. So I like we're, we see things in line, but I feel like an A-plus is reserved for, you know, like you got to go out there and look like Braylon Edwards or something to get an A plus out of me, which, which granted Roman Wilson did get three scores. And so I'll give you that. Um, The wide receiver room was an A. It was a pleasant A Uh, going into that game. I thought a B was probably the best we were going to get out of them. And now I am excited uh, for this season because uh, we didn't even see Tyler Morris, you know, uh, we barely saw Darius Clemens. Uh, we didn't see Peyton O'Leary. So now, now all of a sudden, this wide receiver room uh, with Roman Wilson wearing that iconic number one uh, jersey, it looks like uh, we might have ourselves a really talented uh, top of the conference uh, receiving room, not to mention Ohio State's uh, receivers didn't do much yesterday. And so it, it looks very good. It was a very good start to the season. They get an A from me 
and now the close cousins of the wide receivers, the tight ends, how do you grade them? I'm going to give them a B. You know, I just don't think that it was anything spectacular. Um, nothing that really stood out. Out of Colston Loveland, you got a typical Colston Loveland-esque day for what you would have seen from him later in uh, the second half of last year's season. So nothing unexpected out of him. Would have liked to have seen more positive things from A.J. Barner. Uh, we've been hopping, hyping him up a lot this offseason. Se- off so would have liked to have seen him show out a little bit more. Max Bredesen made a pretty good play at one point um, and was very efficient and also got a lot of utilization with his uh, snap counts. So I think the position as a whole, I'm going to give a B to. What are your thoughts? B plus, B plus, because uh, I was I was happy with it. You know, uh, again, that's a position that Michigan fans tend to be a little spoiled with. We've had Jake Butt, we've had, uh, you know, the Eric Alls and Luke Schoonmakers of the world that are very good, and uh, it's easy to forget that not a lot of teams use their tight ends uh, in as much as Michigan does. And so, what we saw out of Colston Loveland was great. I mean, it was what we wanted to see. We saw a couple of different looks. He got downfield a couple times. We had a couple little out routes. He made some catches. He did exactly what you would want to see. Um, didn't get in the end zone, and so that keeps him from being an A grade. And then uh, A.J. Barner, you know, that holding penalty, you know, whatever. It happens, you know. But, you know, and then there was one pass to A.J. Barner that, was incomplete and that that it wasn't really on him that was one of the only passes in the game that I I think kind of sailed a little bit on JJ so I would uh give the tight end group a B plus um let's move it over to the big boys on the offensive line uh where would you grade this O-line performance against East Carolina it's quite a turn of a, of events here for uh the offensive line this week right <laughs> I uh I think for myself, I'm going to grade them at a C plus. And, you know, that's, I think, being a little bit nice. I think that if I were to make an excuse for this group, it's just that Michigan was doing a lot of different things offensively yesterday, a lot heavier on the pass, a lot less on the run. So they were having to adjust a lot more. Obviously, they've got a little bit of a different look with Miles Hinton stepping into the mix, Drake Nugent. So there's that to consider as well. I don't think it's a point of emphasis to worry about or anything like that. I think they're definitely going to continue to gel. I think the Michigan method's going to continue to work its magic through the first possibly even three, four weeks of the season. I think it'll be until you can definitely name your your five starting guys. They're going to take uh, a couple weeks to kind of figure this thing out and see who fits where the best and all of that good stuff. So I'm going to give them a C plus for this week. I think there's definitely some things that they can do to improve upon. Don't think that they were bad by any stretch of the imagination, but just different from what we've been used to seeing, I think. Yeah, I give them a C, just right down the middle, a C, because. Uh, they didn't really have a great game. <clears throat> there was some, uh, you know, 
pass protection issues at times, even though the pass protection looked pretty good. It was it was uh, pretty good. It broke down a couple times, but JJ's escapability uh, covers up all that stuff, so you didn't have any sacks or anything like that. Um, it's just interesting. So typically with this offensive line, you always have some first-half moments where the run is not really working, and then our our MO in the past has been wear them out and when you wear them out then Blake and Dono get these long runs later well the way this game worked wasn't really but when you go to the pass so much so often um it changes the the dynamic of the run game and you don't get to wear them out the same way which is why uh staying true to the run is so important do i believe that if we would have played you know 2021 style you know ground and pound the whole game that Blake and Donovan would have gotten better as the game went and the the O-line would have gotten better as the game went absolutely I think that would have happened um but the things that are concerning here and the reason they get a C grade is even when things are not clicking and we're still work you know working things out in the first quarter in 2021 and 2022 those plays would go for a positive two yards. You know, you get a little bit of push, you go, you go for a positive two yards, and then you live to see another down. And, and, but yesterday, there was a few plays that went for negative two yards. And that's a little bit concerning, especially when you're going against a team like East Carolina. Uh, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt because the offensive line coach was not there. Um, it's also important to point out that East Carolina was selling out early in the game. They were selling out to stop the run. So they had, the, you know, they stacked the box. They were bringing a lot of guys. Um, and also, that's the best position group on East Carolina's team. Their, their defensive line was by far the best position group on their team. So uh, the sky is not falling, but I will be watching them closely in this UNLV game because that's a game that we should be able to go out there and just push these guys around. Um, as much as I love JJ to Roman, and I think we'll see a lot of it, I would love to come out there next week and have a, a you know long, sustained, ground and pound, wear them out drive to start the game because that it'll bring me some peace when it comes to this, this O-line. So, all right, flip it to the big boys on the defensive line. How do you, how do you grade the defensive line? The defensive line, I uh, well, how do you want to split this up? Are we going edge, interior, or defensive line as a whole? You can split it up if you want. I graded the whole the whole D line. Um, I'm going to split it up just because, just because. Cool, I'll ride so with the it. The interior, I got I got those guys at an A. I thought they provided excellent run stopping ability. I, Immense amount of pressure up the middle, uh, flustered the quarterback all day. I thought those guys were spectacular. Gave them an A. On the outside at the edge position, I've just got to see. I've just got to see more from those guys. I'm giving them a C. Uh, no sacks. No sacks on the day. That's a little bit uh, saddening if you're a Michigan fan. You know, it's uh, only happened a couple times since the departure of uh, of even Hutch and Ojabo. So it's just something that you hate to see. 
But uh, the edge position, I've got them a C uh, interior, got them at an A. So there's definitely some promise, and I'm not ready to hit the panic alarm at the edge position because when you really think about it, all they lost last year or from last year is Mike Morris, who really towards the latter end of the year didn't provide you a big boost uh, towards what you were trying to do. So you got your same group of guys back there a year older, a year wiser. I think East Carolina was just hitting the ground running every time the ball was snapped. So I think that was definitely keeping them on their toes a little bit. But uh, I'm just I'm going to be hard a little bit on the edge position just because got to see more from those guys. Yeah, it's a bit of a head scratcher, too, because I would have assumed we would see three or four sacks. You know, we'd see Derek Moore and Braden McGregor wreaking havoc. Uh, Jalen Harrell, you and I were talking about this before uh, the pod. Jalen Harrell was the lowest graded player on the defense, uh, according to PFF, for the whole game. Now, um, it's it's very anecdotal, right? It's one game. Every game has a personality. It's not like they were giving up plays and they were making massive mistakes they were just kind of a non-factor which is strange for a michigan edge group um i'm glad that you bro- broke it up actually so i gave the d-line as a whole a c plus um but that's really just because i let the edges kind of bring down my average there uh b plus a minus or so for the interior guys uh that mike sandra still interception uh that was Kenneth Grant, man. I, I went back and watched that interception. That was a Kenneth Grant play. Like he deserves an assist on that turnover because he was coming for that quarterback. And that could have been a sack if the quarterback would have done what he should have done, which was hung on to the ball. And so there's a few plays like that where it's like, well, that would have been a sack. You know, the quarterback made a poor decision and let it go and we we intercepted it. So that was a good rush. We saw Chris uh Jenkins get some good rush. Uh we saw the run defense, for the most part, looked pretty good. And there was one play. I don't know if you remember this, Matt. Um, and I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the game yet. But Mason Graham made a tackle like three yards from the sideline. And I was like, what in the world is Mason Graham doing over there? And it was like a play where they needed him, too. And so I can't wait to go back and look at it because I remember specifically Mason Graham making a big play. So. So yeah, I would give I would give the interior guys a better grade, but as a whole, I'll give the D line a C plus. Um You just can't take anything away from that run stopping ability. You know, they they did great defensively against the run and against the pass yesterday. I thought they were very impressive, um, especially when it comes to stopping the run. So I couldn't let that that's why I just had to split it up. Uh, I just couldn't let it determine some of those great rushes that we saw from uh, Kenneth Grant or the fact that for for the most part, they just bottled everything up. You know, that quarterback, he was running for his life. So I think that it'll be a slightly different situation, although I'm not sure UNLV also uh, has been known to have a little bit of a mobile quarterback. We'll get to that. But uh, yeah, I got to see a little bit more from those edge guys. Yeah, and I think we will. I think we will. Um, let's go to the linebackers. How do you grade the linebackers? 
The linebackers, I thought those guys were spectacular. Uh, A-plus for me. Maybe I'm being a little bit generous today with my grades, but I thought that their utilization of uh, Hausman, Barrett, and Colson was right on the money. Uh, solid mixture of those three guys. I thought it was perfect. All of them just loaded the stat sheet with tackles. Any run that got through to that second layer of those three guys, they just bottled it up right there on the spot. A big, big, massive part of why the final score was what it was. Uh, linebackers, I think that they were one of the top position groups on the day. A little bit uh, uh, more on the depth you could have asked for. Um from uh, Micah Pollard and, and Jaden Hood, I think. But all, all things being said, I think that they did great. I think that we might have the best linebacker group in the entire country, Matt. I, I you know, And I, I got to check out some of these teams. I got to see Bama and Georgia and the, the teams that traditionally have some really strong linebackers. But, um, man, Ernest Hausman. When he blew that dude up, uh, it was, I mean, just a spectacular play. And then Junior Colson was getting off blocks and making tackles. Uh, Mike Barrett was a presence, as usual. There was one uh, Mike Barrett missed tackle that I can remember. If I'm, if I, and I'm just going off my memory of the first time watching it. I think he missed a tackle in there somewhere. I'm going to just let that slide because they played so good. I agree with you. I'm giving the linebackers an A-plus as well. Uh, I'm just so excited to see how they develop throughout this season. You mentioned the depth. We've got some talent backing those three guys up, but, I mean, if those three guys are on the field... You need some experience. Yeah, exactly. If those three guys are on the field, like, I, I mean, that's a game changer. I believe they were three out of the four leading tacklers and... uh Everybody was wondering, how are we going to, you know, Hausman versus Barrett? And, well, we, we saw it, right? All three of those guys can have an impact. All three of them can get a lot of snaps. Uh, that, that's our linebackers right there. They look good. Hausman blew that dude up. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I almost did that as my sheesh because it was, I mean, that was, it was a big hit. Um, very Devin Bush-like. He's, he's always reminded me. When I watch some of those Nebraska highlights, he reminds me a little bit of Devin Bush, and so we'll see if he can develop into that type of a player. Um, and then let's go to the secondary. I, I assume you, you might have broken up the safeties and the cornerbacks. I just graded the secondary as a whole. How, how do you want to do that? We can just run with this together. I've got them the same, and uh, I'll take it a step further. I've got them at an A. I've already referenced this towards the beginning of the show. I thought that they were spectacular, even down Will Johnson and Rod Moore. Makari Page only played like 10 snaps. So the secondary, for what they were working with, uh, they did amazing. Keyshawn Harris, uh, at, towards the, the, before the season started, you know, I put that article out, guys that we're not talking about. I missed on Keyshawn Harris, man. That yeah. was one of the guys that I missed on because he definitely uh, provided a little bit of a safety net for not having really much playing time under his belt. I thought that he was very efficient. Uh, Zeke Barry even contributed a little bit. Keon Sab is going to be a force. He could have 
uh, easily gotten by this guy right here just for his performance in the past game covering for some of those guys that were missing. So I've got that group rated at an A, Mike. What about you? Keon Sab was the most pleasant surprise. And I know he wasn't that much of a surprise. Like people knew he was good. But for me, when we when we thought, you know, the safeties are are out, the cornerbacks are looking thin, I was like, man, I started to have some anxiety. I was like, maybe this game is going to be closer than expected. Well, Keon Sab answered every question we needed answered as far as depth in the secondary goes. That dude is a dog. I mean, he he was everywhere. I believe he had tied for the most snaps on defense yesterday. He, I mean, he had himself a day. Um, and to think that when Makari Page and Rod Moore are both healthy, uh, he's probably not even a starter, right? And so, we, we, I mean, we've got what we need back there. I, we're, we're definitely going to get him on the field more. He's going to rotate in back there. And so, uh, anyway, you can probably hear from my excitement. I give the secondary as a whole an A. Uh, Josh Wallace looked great. Um, Sander still, it, it, he is who we thought he was. He's, he's the man, you know. So, uh, secondary gets an A. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't throw uh, special teams on here. Did you, you got a grade for the special teams? I didn't, I didn't even take a look at them. I didn't either, but, I mean, we might as well talk about it. Special teams needs to tighten up. Yeah. They could easily be on the what's the deal list this week. I didn't put them on mine, but uh, they could easily be on my shit list <laughs> for, uh, for James Turner missing that, uh, that field goal and that extra point. And he missed it. Pretty bad. I didn't see if anybody like tipped it or anything, but uh, my guy, you got some big shoes to fill. Money Moody just left the building, so gonna need to see a little bit of uh, of James Turner making some extra points. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, um, you know, I, I'd probably give him like a C if I just had to throw throw it out there. I thought for not having AJ Henning. Uh, the punt returners did admirably. We'll see how how that continues to progress and what they settle on. So I don't know. I'll give them like a C, maybe a a C minus or something. Yeah, that's about right. C minus. It's like underwhelming, not that impressive. Uh, missing an extra point and a field goal is not a good look. Um, you know, he drained a 50 yarder and that 50 yarder looked like it would have been good from 70. And so they, you know, th- there is a silver lining there. Um, so let's talk a little bit about punt returner. Um, so we're thinking, you know, Cole Cabana, like who could, and of course Cabana was out. We're sitting here thinking, uh, you know, who's the punt returner going to be. I did not expect to see Jake Thaw back there returning kicks. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I went straight to my computer and was was like uh, I like Googled like W who the heck is you know Jake Thaw like what who the hell is this guy why why is he touching the football and um turns out he made a, he made a pretty big play in the spring game I just kind of forgot about it um, it was late but that, it was pretty late in the spring game if I'm not mistaken that was not a guy I expected to be talking about today. Uh, at all i uh, to be quite honest that's the one guy that uh I, I i'm not even sure if i knew who that was and so it was it was interesting to see him 
out there as the number one punt returner. It'll be interesting to see if if he continues that job. He was shifty though. He was shifty. You know, he 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 got the ball. He looked like he had a little bit of juice behind him. So I trust I trust uh, Jay Harbaugh to make the right decisions there. And so we'll just see how it goes. We'll see if he continues to thaw. Man, let's go. <laughs> Dad jokes for everyone. Oh, yeah, All right. All this shit. Now it's time for our first in-season pump the brakes. And for our listeners that have been with us for a while, you guys know how you guys know how this goes, what this is, but Matt and I have a segment that we like to call pump the brakes. Uh, we will all just have a or we will each give a uh spicy controversial take or just a, a you know a, a thought based on what we saw in the previous week and the other person can say keep driving if they agree with it or they can say pump the brakes all right matt i'm gonna jump right in on this one my spicy take for the week is notre dame will beat ohio state the Fighting Irish will defeat the Buckeyes when they play here in the non-con shortly. I love it. And uh, it's, gonna, it's probably going to be a busy day for just keeping on driving, buddy, because I think that Notre Dame, as you know, I've picked them to, uh, to finish in my top four for the end of the year. I've really liked what I've seen out of them the first couple weeks. I think that a win over Ohio State is a part of that road to the final four for Notre Dame. Not impressed with Ohio State. And I'll just take it a step further going into my take that Ohio State looks like total ass. They looked terribly, <laughs> they looked terrible yesterday. Um, I mean, you know, I think that uh, that they eventually like spaced it out a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Indiana has been thoroughly projected to uh, finish as one of the two worst teams in the Big Ten by experts and analysts all season long. So I'm really not buying that uh, that Indiana's bringing something like extra spicy that people just aren't seeing. Uh, it's Indiana. So, I mean, they're bringing about what they've always brought, in my opinion. Um so I think Ohio State is just really soft, and I think that that we might see like three or four losses out of them this year. So there's my take. Well, I'm not going to pump the brakes on you. I I like cautiously agree with you. I you know it, it was week one. I I loved to see them struggling a little bit. They did pull it out at the end. They had a uh, Kyle McCord, their quarterback, started to look better as the game progressed. I. I'm not ready to throw in the towel and say that they're dog shit. Marvin uh, Harrison caught the ball like two times. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll admit, I loved it. I loved it. I loved everything that I saw. So I'm going to, uh, like, you know, take my foot off the gas on that one until next week and just see because Ohio State could fall into a rhythm and be a very, very good team. But, uh, but also, I just picked them to lose to Notre Dame, so obviously I agree with you that there there appears to be um, some weaknesses there. You know, new quarterback that's unproven. Uh, the Ryan Day system seems to be systematically very slowly uh, falling away from what Urban Meyer's culture was at Ohio State, and so 
it's it's beginning to feel like Ryan Day teams have an identity, um, and that identity is they can rack up a lot of stats, but when it when it comes down to to really getting into dogfights, uh, they haven't come through. And so I'm hoping that that continues to be the case this year. And I agree, we could see multiple losses. So uh, no pumping of the brakes this week for our fan base. Maybe next week we'll we'll uh, pump them a little bit more. But it is time for us to ask, what's the deal? So Matt, what made you say, what's the deal this week? Well, Mike, aside from the uh, special teams play, which we've already referenced, I'm going to stick with the pass rush. You know, I think that that continues to be something that this team just has to figure out if it wants to be up there with some of these top tier, top caliber teams. You know, you can't be struggling getting no sacks against teams like East Carolina, you know, it's really flashbacks of of last season. Uh, I don't, I think it was UConn or something like that, where we just got no sacks against an inferior opponent. You know, I know it's not all about sacks, and there's more to life uh, when it comes to rushing the quarterback than sacking the quarterback every single time. But you just you like to see a little bit uh, more connection on that effort of the ball. So. What's the deal, pass rush? Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, all I wanted to see was J.J. to Roman. I've been calling for it all offseason, and I got exactly what I wanted to see out of that game. I got J.J. to Roman, and then, and then it's time to be like, but wait, <laughs> but wait, the, the pass rush uh, did not look what, like what we're used to, and then the offensive line didn't get pushed on a couple of plays like we're used to. So we're really just nitpicking at this point. But I agree with you. Um, the first thing I want to see when we go out on defense next week against UNLV is, you know, a, a creative blitz on the edge that ends with the quarterback going down because that'll just make me feel a little bit better about what's going on out there on the outside. Um, and you saw it, like, on a couple plays, like, Braden coming so close again, but it's like, God, dude, I've seen this, seen that a million times. Like, I want to see Braden connecting on that, that sack, you know? So, uh, I'm just over it a little bit. I want to see, uh, some guys getting to the quarterback, sacking them. But again, I know it's East Carolina and their quarterback was very froggy yesterday. So, that might not be the game where we see it start to uh, kind of escalate, but we'll see. For now, I'm kind of leaving my uh, mark of of silent skepticism on it a little bit until I see a little bit more from those guys. Yeah, it's definitely a like to be determined uh, kind of part of of the Michigan game that we're going to look at in the non-con. I have faith that we'll work it out. I mean, Coach Elston and. Uh, those guys are, they're going to be working on these guys. Um, what made me say, what's the deal this week was, you know, I, I've been waiting all off season to watch Michigan football, as have you, as have most of our listeners or all of our listeners. Week one r- rolls around and, you know, that I've been, literally been counting down the days and I was forced <laughs> to, forced to get this subscription to Peacock right i can i can't just turn on the big 10 network or fox or or even just nbc 
uh, and watch my Michigan Wolverines play. I got to get this subscription to Peacock. No big deal. I'm fine with that. You know, uh, Yellowstone is a really good show that you can watch on Peacock. I'm sitting here thinking like, maybe this will benefit me in the long run. It's not very expensive. All right. I'm obviously, I'm going to get Peacock. I'm going to watch this game. No biggie. I'm happy. And then I turn on the game and at first it's like glitchy. It's doing this thing where it's not a smooth stream. And I know it's not my internet because I literally watch like seven games at once and stuff. Like, and, and, and so I got to back out and go back in and then it, finally it gets smooth for me. And then somewhere in the third quarter, Matt, I don't know if this happened to you. I heard some other people complaining on, uh, on Twitter. Somewhere in the third quarter, my shit just cut out on me. I missed, I missed like a large chunk of the third quarter of the Michigan game. And to me, that is absolutely unacceptable. I'm infuriated. I'll probably write a handwritten letter to the president of Peacock about this outrage and injustice that I'm experiencing. So, Peacock, what is the deal? There's some people that uh, were sticking up for him. I'm like, you guys must not have been watching the same game that I was because choppiness on the stream. There was a sub. There was a section of like the second quarter where the sound just like stopped coming. Like I was watching on my aunt's TV. I thought it was because of their surround sound or something like. Uh, that it was playing outside or something, but no, like I guess the the voice of the commentary just like stopped connecting at one point for a little bit. Uh, the commentary, aside from Mike Tarico, was just terrible. Uh, talking about targeting calls that, uh, and now we're just getting into the broadcast of things, but uh-huh. uh, I, I felt like they were just terrible, you know, talking about uh, targeting that was clearly a targeting. So I just took so many issues with it. It just was not what I was used to. Um, I'd grade them an F if they were a position battle right now. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because you talk about the broadcast and, there was a point in the game where I turned to my wife and I was like, they haven't gotten a single one of these right. When it was like a penalty or a, a review, I, it, it, there was like five or six in a row where they got every single one wrong. And I, I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. So, but for me, that's fine. I don't care about the commentators. I mean, it, do I want Gus and Joel on every game? Like, yeah, I love Gus and Joel, but you, you can be subpar commentators, but don't mess with my ability to watch the game. Like I literally still haven't gone back and, and watched a portion of the third quarter. You talked about a long quarterback run earlier in the podcast. I don't think I saw that. It literally, like I literally missed part of the game, which for me is just unacceptable. So Peacock, get your shit together. Um, I don't want to watch any more games on Peacock. No, definitely not. And it looked like it was like buffering by the time, like, like three or four minutes were left in the game. Like it just was very splotchy and I just wasn't having a great time with it. I, I just want to be back with, uh, with Gus and Joel on big noon kickoff. Take me back. Yeah. Well, luckily for me, I'll be in the big house next week and I know you'll be there the following week. And so uh, we'll both have very good views and we'll not be streaming those games. Um, all right, man, we got to see some Big Ten football in addition to just Michigan football this week. 
what did you see in the Big Ten that stuck out to you? What did you like? We all... We already basically covered Ohio State, but feel free to touch on them again if you want. Um, you know, we we saw some interesting things in the Big Ten. Did anything stick out to you? Yeah, there was actually a few things that stuck out to me. Uh, one was the Big Ten season opener with um, uh, Minnesota and Nebraska. I thought that oh game my was very God. interesting um obviously for most of the game it wasn't super interesting but uh that last sequence of events with nebraska's luck uh and historical cursing that they have going on you just can't help but laugh i thought it was a great ending to the game took thorough enjoyment in that also, Iowa scoring on their first two offensive possessions under one Cade McNamara. Uh, was pretty impressed with that. Hats off a little bit to Cade Mack. I think that they're going to be in good hands. Also, Eric All getting a tutty. So, uh, Iowa, they were another thing that jumped out at me. We've already touched on Ohio State a little bit. Not impressed with them in the slightest. Uh, Penn State, I think that's about how you would have uh, expected a game between them and West Virginia to go in game one. Drew Aller looks like a force, so slightly worried about that. But I just want to be clear that I'm not of the mindset that Michigan's going to lose to Penn State. I know that's a take that people have these days, but I'm not one of those people, just for the listeners so you guys know. Uh, but yeah, the Penn State, West Virginia, I thought that transpired similarly. And then Wisconsin, Maryland, and Illinois all kind of handling business. So what are your thoughts on all of it? Well, well, Illinois did not handle business. Wisconsin and Maryland handled their business. I don't know if oh, you yeah, saw. Not handling business, but narrowly well, escaping. <laughs> Illinois narrowly escaped. And something interesting, actually, uh, just a side note on on Illinois, there was uh, that the uh, what do you call it that twenty four seven sports talent composite right they they release like how much talent is on each team and uh, Illinois was dead last in the Big Ten which actually surprised me a little bit because they had a pretty good team last year they lost a little bit of talent um, so I saw that and I was like interesting maybe Illinois doesn't really belong up there maybe but i also i take that with a grain of salt because teams like michigan take less talent and turn it into more and so you know i took it with a grain of salt but then i saw them struggling against toledo and thought maybe illinois is not a great team at oh well, i didn't think they were great but maybe they're not a good team like maybe they're bottom of the the big 10 material like indiana northwestern type material so we'll keep an eye on on them, I know Bielema is enjoying himself a nice steak, mashed potatoes, and fried okra. Uh, <laughs> the thing about Illinois, right now. though, is that uh, is they win a lot of games like that. If you yeah. look back on last season, a lot of their losses, I believe, are narrow victories. You know, they were kind of a surprise when they gave Michigan a fit like they did at that point in the season last year. There's kind of a weird team, weird coaching by that Brett Bielema. But uh, yeah. I don't think it's any indication that they won't be like good this year. I think it's just part of the way that they play ball almost. 
Yeah, that's a good point. So you got that. You got Wisconsin gave up 17 points to Buffalo, but then it, it see, I saw some highlights. It seemed like they handled them pretty well, had some really good runs. Um, Purdue got beat by Fresno State. I mean, I don't know if that really tells us anything. I, I would have considered that game kind of a coin flip anyway, but a uh, new coach in Purdue, going to take a little time. You mentioned uh, Iowa scoring on their first two possessions with Cade. That's a good sign, but, you know, you look at the, the final score, 24-14 to 14 against Utah very State. very Iowa-esque a little bit. Very Iowa-esque, right? I had, I had a buddy texting me before the game and was like, talking about the over-under with Iowa, and I was like, always take the under, right? Like, I don't even, I was like, they're supposed to have a better offense this year, but you, you can't even believe that till you see it. Um, Michigan uh, State. Overall, looked, Cade Mack's stat line is still very, like, Cade Mack from Michigan-esque. I don't know yeah, if you peeped it, but it I looked did. very it was like, similar mm-hmm. from what we saw of Cade at Michigan. Nothing to kind of gleam in, like, jealousy about over there. Uh, I think that he handled his business as far as an Iowan is concerned, but yeah, yeah, it was a super Cade McNamara stat line, right? Like 17 out of 30, uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions and like, you know, 200 and something yards. Very, very Cade McNamara game manager. I, I just looking at the stat line, I could even like just he see. He managed the hell out of that. He managed that <laughs> game so well. He threw the ball away at just the right times. You he know, the rush was coming. He the hell down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love him though. I love him. You know, so anyway, Michigan State, um, they looked like, just straight ass at the beginning of that central Michigan game. And then um, they found their groove, you know, they found their groove. They won 31 to seven. I'm, I'm going to withhold my shit talking until they play a better opponent because that Noah Kim, that quarterback they had, uh, he started to find his rhythm. They looked a little bit better towards the end. Penn state, kind of a similar situation where they didn't look, they were kind of in a dog fight for, for a minute with West Virginia. And then they pulled it out. Um, I don't know if we really learned anything about any teams in particular. Um, oh wow, Northwestern and Rutgers are playing right now. I didn't even realize that. I'm looking at the scores. Rutgers is up uh 17 to nothing at halftime. Um, again, that doesn't really tell us anything, right? It's Northwestern, so uh, we got about what we would expect from the Big Ten. Was there anything on the national? landscape that caught your attention caught my attention i mean tcu and colorado can we talk about that a little bit yeah Uh, uh, we missed the game for those that were watching michigan football uh so missed the majority of the game but tuned in i think there was still a decent chunk of the fourth quarter left by the time i tuned into it uh, and a buddy of mine was also following on his phone, uh, YouTube TV. So I was still peeping for a good amount of the second half, but just insane. I can't even put it into words after everything that's transpired with Deion Sanders and that program and bringing people in and then some of those same people leaving and then mm-hmm. uh, saying some of the things that he said and having more of his toes removed like (laughs) he can't even like write this shit you know so 
Um, it's just, it was insane to me to see them get that win uh, over TCU, who is like a dumpster of a football program over the last couple of games that they've played. But that was not the obvious uh, storyline for me, buddy. Yeah, I mean, that was the that's the one, right? Like, that's the storyline of week one. Um, I always found it kind of strange that people were so low on Colorado. It's like, yeah, they had a bad record yet last year, but Dion brought in literally an entire new team. I think they had like 80 new players on that team or some ridiculous number like that. And so, um, and of course we knew he brought in some five-star talent at the top um, with his son Shador Sanders and then uh, Travis Hunter uh, who played like 110 snaps. He's playing offense and defense. And so four of their receivers had over a hundred yards. It was, it's unreal. Ridiculous. It's unreal. And, and so I don't know if they'll be able to do that all year. They, they were picked to have the fewest wins of any FBS team in the entire country. Vegas had them at the fewest wins of any FBS team. And so a lot of that has to do with their schedule. They have a nightmarish like gauntlet of a schedule. And so it, you start looking at that and it's tough to find wins after yesterday's game. You start looking at that and you're like, man, they might be able to break 500. They might be, maybe they're even better than that. You know who, who knows? And so, uh, the post game press conference with Dion is just, it was just so Dion. I don't know if you caught him and he's got the, just he's got going the hot in on everybody. <laughs> Yeah, just he's saying like we keep our receipts. You guys doubted us, and he's wearing these like high reflector shades, you know, and chain he's hanging out. Like, and I stuff. read the article. <laughs> he, you know what Deion Sanders is? He's everything that Michigan State fans wish Mel Tucker was. You know, like he pulls off what they wish Mel Tucker could pull off. He is premium Tuck. <laughs> Tuck premium. Uh, Tuck Premium, dude. They got Tuck Light over there in East Lansing. Um, Diet Tuck. Diet Tuck. <laughs> uh, Washington looked good. I don't know if, you know, that was the other kind of performance that stuck out is Michael Penix um, had a kind of a crazy, crazy high stat line, five touchdowns, a ton of yards. I think he had like 450 yards. He he could be a legitimate Heisman contender. Um, Oregon. Yeah. How about Oregon. 81 points yesterday. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, Portland State is uh, that's FCS, and so it's it's like hard to it's hard to know what that means, you know? Because like, <laughs> it, it, like could could Bowling Green put up like you know sixty on them? Maybe like so it's it's hard to know what eighty one out of Oregon means, but it it's definitely eye opening to see that many points. Oklahoma. Uh, came out and and dropped seventy three on Arkansas State, and so you know, and and that was a shutout too. So that that's good to see for Brent Venables, who they had a real disappointing year last year. I think Georgia, ultimately, uh, you saw a lot of what you saw from Michigan yesterday. A lot of teams kind of just struggling a little bit, not struggling, but just kind of finding their footing, finding their groove. You know, you had teams like Notre Dame, who already have a week under their belt at this point, um, who have been, but still dominant, still in that week one game. So you've got a couple teams that uh, kind of flexing their dominance early against like FCS opponents and stuff like that. But ultimately, like some of the top 
top programs you saw like it relatively closer in the first half so i don't think anything's shocking coming out of this week one matchup matchup i'm just i'm just now looking at joe milton's stat line for tennessee uh he had himself a pretty good day uh he had at 21 of 30 which that's decent pass completion 201 yards which is not nothing too crazy but two touchdowns zero interceptions and then on the ground, he ran for 33 yards and two scores. So two rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. They were playing Virginia, so that's an a- ACC school. So it's not, I mean, Virginia's not good by any means, but they beat the shit out of them, 49-13. to 13. So a good start for Joe Milton and the Tennessee Volunteers. Eyes will be on the TV tonight when LSU takes on Florida State. I think that will be a really good game. I'm expecting both of those programs to be uh, closely in contention this year uh, from kind of a playoff bubble standpoint, if you will. Yeah, it's a huge game. I actually picked both of those teams to go to to my playoff, which is kind of dumb knowing that they play each other. But I feel like like, uh, LSU squeezes out a close one and then Florida State runs the table in the ACC. That's just my thought process, but um it, it, by the time our listeners hear this, that game will have already happened and so it'll be interesting to to get eyes on them. Um but all in all, it's just good to have college football back. Uh Michigan ha- takes on UNLV next week. Um what are your thoughts on the game? Man, I'm expecting a little bit more of a dominant showing. I think East Carolina, you know, I haven't been trying to put uh, any excuses in the wind from a Michigan fan standpoint. Uh, But I think East Carolina, they were pretty chippy yesterday. Uh, Right right down to the very wire with that uh, cheap last second uh, field goal. But I think that they really wanted to cause some chaos for Michigan today and put or uh, yesterday and put up a really really good fight, which they did. So credit to them. But I think UNLV will be a little bit more of a do- uh, dominant showing offensively. Obviously, the Rebels have a new coach coming in that's more defensive minded. So look for them to make more adjustments in that direction. But uh, I still think nothing to worry about. The quarterback, from what I know, is uh, is pretty productive. Uh, they lose their one of their best performers, which was uh, a running back from last year. Replaced him with another guy that's only about half as productive. So I don't think too many things of concern to Michigan next week that they really haven't dealt with already this past week with uh, a mobile, competent quarterback uh, that East Carolina had. I think that might be the the cap at what what they can expect next week as a challenge. So I think Michigan does well next week. What are your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, UNLV beat uh, Bryant College week one, 44-14. Not really much you can extrapolate from that. You know, you play a team like Bryant College. Well, actually, you could say if Bryant College put up 14 points on them, then that, you know, that means there's some definite vulnerability there. Um, yeah, I had a pretty good conversation with a guy by the name of Tony Cordasco. He's a play-by-play announcer for UNLV over there. I, we, we talked this off-season. Um, we had a great conversation and broke down some things, and 
for any listeners, go find that. It's called Behind Enemy Lines. We did a kind of a deep dive into what their team looks like. I'm not going to do that uh, for just for the sake of time right now. I'm just going to say I think Michigan does handle them easily. Uh, we'll have Sharon Moore back. Uh, I'll be at the game. It'll be fun because it'll be uh, you know Jay Harbaugh in the first half. And then something that's kind of special for me personally is that I'll be present for Mike Hart's first time as a head coach. You know, to me, because Hart, you know, the era I grew up in of Michigan football, Mike Hart is one of those guys. And so it'll be cool to be able to say I was there when he first put on his his uh, head coach hat. I'm excited about that. Um, here's one thing that I will tell UNLV fans and, and the team and the equipment staff. Uh, they have the coolest, or they had the coolest turnover um, tradition at UNLV. They had a slot machine, the turnover slot machine. I don't know if you ever saw this. And they made them get rid of it because they said, oh, it's a bad look, you know, college <laughs> players gambling. So I have a proposition for uh, East Carolina. Bring your slot machine to the big house. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll let you have your slot machine at the big house. The only rule is that if we get a turnover, uh, we get to run to the, the slot machine and, and crank it one time. So uh, that's all I got to say about that. Bring the slot machine to the big house. Absolutely. As a fan of slot machines myself, I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, yeah, you know, I think that it's going to be a great showing from Michigan next week. Very excited for you, uh, my friend, getting to attend. Shout out to everybody that purchased a uh, free Harbaugh shirt, showing out at the game, representing for the boys wearing uh, the free Harbaugh Meant a lot. A lot of people shouted out and then uh, after the game said something on Twitter about it as well. So super cool to see everybody wearing those. If you're looking to pick one up, you can at uh, mazeworld.com minus the O, mazeworld.com minus the O. Get one. Represent Coach Jim at the next game. I just want our listeners to know Matt Hartwell started the free Harbaugh movement. Okay, people, there's some swagger jackers out there and some people that are pretending like they, they did their own thing. Uh, they're ripping off his logo on the shirt and everything. My partner in crime right here, Matt Hartwell, started a, a movement that is sweeping through Ann Arbor. Get your free heart, free, I almost said free Hartwell. Get your free Harbaugh shirts at mazeworld.com. And Matt, where else can people find you? Absolutely. They can find me uh, and my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or any of the great content from uh, the stuff that me and my team are putting out at mazeandbrew.com or their Twitter handle at mazeandbrew. What about you, Mike? Where can people find you at? Well, you guys can find my website. It's wolverinechronicle.com. You could find me on Twitter uh, at wolverinecron. Also, you can just look up Wolverine Chronicle on YouTube, and there's also some other social media accounts floating out. You guys can find them. You're smart enough to find them. I trust you. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be recapping uh, the UNLV game and experience. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Big House Bleachers podcast. And so if you're listening to us and you're a new listener, uh, go, go into your, your podcast app, hit subscribe. That way you can stay up to date on uh, every time an episode is released. We'll see you next week. As always, go blue. Go blue.